Hi, and welcome back to Women Rule. I'm Carrie Budoff-Brown, editor of Politico. And today we're talking to U.S. Senator Jean Shaheen from New Hampshire. We spoke with a Democratic senator about an issue that's dominated the news cycle for weeks, and it's a conversation that everyone is having here in Washington, around the country, even the globe. And that is the issue of sexual harassment and assault. He is very powerful in Hollywood, a heavyweight, but now producer Harvey Weinstein is facing multiple sexual harassment accusations that span 30 years, according to the New York Times. A New Yorker article came out this morning by Ronan Farrow. It is full of new allegations and much more serious allegations against Harvey. A deluge of allegations ever more serious. Three women now accusing Hollywood's most powerful producer of rape. Shaheen has tackled the issue of sexual assault for decades, both in her home state of New Hampshire and most recently on Capitol Hill. Just last year, Shaheen wrote and introduced legislation creating a basic bill of rights for sexual assault survivors. And last October, President Obama signed it into law. Senator Shaheen is still fighting that fight. There's a lot more that needs to be done, she says. In the workplace, in public housing, sexual harassment and assault is an issue women face everywhere. And it's not just up to those who face it to come forward. We need men to speak up and say this is not acceptable. We are not going to allow this in our businesses, in our workplaces, in our sports teams, um, anywhere. Stick around for the rest of that conversation, and also stay tuned for our extended talk with Shaheen about her own trailblazing career. She's the first woman in U.S. history to be elected both governor and U.S. senator, and currently she's the only woman on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, so she knows a thing or two about women ruling. On the Women Rule podcast, we'll be bringing you backstage with women leaders, the big bosses in politics and policy. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter at Brown. Women Rule is produced by Politico in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. And now a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With support from families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule in empowering the next generation of female leaders. And now our interview with Senator Jean Shaheen. Senator Shaheen, thank you so much for joining me on Women Rule. Great to be with you. Great to have you. You know, I want to start off um, with an issue that you've done a lot of work on, and that's sexual harassment. Um, you've seems like you've focused on it quite a bit over the past three decades, going back to the 1980s in New Hampshire. You mm-hmm. sat on this New Hampshire um, Commission on the Status of Women as a state right. senator. You focused on this last year. You were the lead sponsor of what became a, a law, a bipartisan bill, that established uh, what seemed to be a, a bill of rights for sexual assault survivors. Right. And so given that and given everything that's swirling around, I'd really love to know what you're thinking right now at this point when this issue, um, you know, more broadly speaking, uh, it's dominating the conversation. What are you thinking? Like what goes through your mind, particularly with the Harvey Weinstein revelations about, about where we are, right. given how long we've been confronting these issues? 
Well, I think it's very positive, actually. I think we're having a national conversation about this and that women who have been too often characterized as victims are coming forward and they're taking charge of their own destinies and that that's really important to the conversation. Um, I was listening to someone, I can't remember who, being interviewed in the last week about the circumstances. And one of the points she made was that in addition to women who have been um, sexually harassed or assaulted coming forward, we also need as bystanders to speak out about the importance of addressing this issue. So this is not just about the women who have come forward and said, we want justice, we want we want to make sure this doesn't happen again. But it's also about those of us who are watching, speaking up and saying, this should not happen. You know, it shouldn't happen to my daughters, to my granddaughters, um, to me, to my mother. No one should be put in this position. And as a society, we need to speak up about that. Gretchen Carlson, who is who is currently on a, on a book tour right mm-hmm. now, um, you know, she's bringing attention to her story but she's also calling for some legislative remedy. Her point is that sexual assault and harassment in the workplace tends to stay quiet because of, uh, because of arbitration clauses. Um, have you looked into this issue at all? Um, well, I haven't looked into that particular aspect of it, but I, I would agree that in the workplace it's often more challenging because often the people who are being harassed are women who need the jobs. They can't, they can't walk away. They can't speak up against their bosses because they're in a situation where they've got to work. So I do think we ought to look at every legislative remedy that might be available. Given what we're learning now, is there some sort of legislative fix, or is it something more systemic in our society, or is it about women in the workplace, or, or what is it by, in your estimation? I think it's all of those things, and I don't think there is one silver bullet fix. One of the things we're working on is legislation that would address um, sexual assault and domestic violence in public housing, which is housing is another place where women um, very often are victimized by landlords who um, are looking for sexual favors in exchange for, you know, I, I won't, I won't throw you out if you will do this for me, and it's really hard to get at that. How did that issue come to your attention? Um, you know, as we were working on the Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights, this is one of the things we heard from um, people who were looking, particularly at affordable housing, because again, um, one of the places where women are most vulnerable is when they have um, low wages, when they're single um, parents, when when they are disadvantaged in some way. So looking at how we can address that. And I think, as I said, looking at whatever legislative remedies are available are important for us to do. But that's not going to be enough to change the culture. It's important as part of the conversation. But we also need women to come forward, women to speak up. We need men to speak up and say, this is not acceptable. Um, We are not going to allow this in our businesses, in our workplaces, in our sports teams. 
um, anywhere. Have you followed the the, the Me Too uh, social campaign? Just what's been reported. Have you had a Me Too moment? I haven't had a Me Too moment in terms of being sexually assaulted. Um, I I don't know anybody who hasn't at some point felt some harassment in the workplace. Um, but it wasn't anything that, I, I mean, somebody asked me, how do you deal with this? And my response was, it depends on the situation. You know, sometimes um, if someone says something that I feel is um, going after me for my gender, I will take them on. Um, sometimes I look at what I'm trying to accomplish, and that's a little bit different than a harassment situation. But I think as as women, we need to to look at how we respond um, under the circumstances and try and raise our concerns whenever it comes up. Have you heard from women? I mean, I guess what's the discussion been with you and your your colleagues on this, particularly your female colleagues here on the Hill? Um, you are a group that makes up still only 20% of the seats here in Congress. Um, are you talking about this with with your fellow senators in any way? Well, the issue with Harvey Weinstein really broke um, last week when we were not here. And so as a group, the women senators haven't been together. I think um, there will be an opportunity to both talk about it and to think about what else we might do to address the situation through legislative channels, and also by speaking out. When you, you sit on the, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, where mm-hmm. you are the only woman senator, female, on that committee, take our listeners into some conversation or some debate you had with your male colleagues on the Foreign Relations Committee, where you, the perspective and experience you brought as a woman shaped a conversation or shaped an issue. Can you can you think of any in particular? We'd love to hear it. Well, one of the pieces of legislation that I've worked on for several years that I'm very proud that we just passed is the Women, Peace, and Security Act, which um, tries to make sure that women are at the table in conflict areas, because we know when women are at the table in negotiating settlements that they tend to last longer. Um, Why is that? What's the research show? I don't know what... Why? What's your I hunch? just know that, um, um, you know, I think just like we know that when um, women do well in developing countries, when they are educated, when they are able to make money, they tend to give back to their families and the communities in a higher, at a higher percentage than men do. And is this having women at the table and negotiating resolution to this? Is that... Yeah, it's so and it's, it's, it's providing about- training. It's it's trying to raise the importance of doing this. But this is legislation that Senator Barbara Boxer, formerly a senator from California, had worked on for a number of years. I I joined her when um, I got on the Foreign Relations Committee, and we worked on it together. And I remember last year, um, as she was leaving at her final. Um, business meeting of the committee when we were trying to get this acted on. And the chairman was telling us that, you know, we weren't going to be able to reach an agreement last year and get it done. Um, She made a very impassioned speech about the need to do this. And 
um, we both chimed in and said, this is not going away. So Senator Boxer may be retiring, but I'm still here, and I'm going to bring it back next year. So be ready and help us get this done. And, in fact, that's what happened. We were able to get it done this year. And, and President Trump signed it. And President Trump signed it. We'll be right back with more Women Rule, but first a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With support from families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule in empowering the next generation of female leaders. Um, the, the, the opioid crisis, uh, you know, New Hampshire in particular, you know it better than anybody, um, has struggled with this. Uh, the, the president says he will finally declare um, it being a national emergency. From your view, uh, as a, a senator who represents a state that, that is, is obviously confronting these issues, what's going to change when that happens, presuming it does happen? Well, I hope what changes is that more resources are available to us. New Hampshire has the second highest overdose death rate in the country. Um, from substance use disorders. We need as many resources as are available for treatment, for um, recovery, for prevention, to help law enforcement. It's, um, it's a tragedy for families, and it's affecting communities. You know, if we were losing 64,000 people a year because of floods or hurricanes or fires, we would have all out, um, all hands on deck, all resources at the ready to address that. But that's missing now. And why has it taken this long? I mean, I I did a a, a podcast a couple weeks ago with with, uh, folks in the National Drug Policy Office. um, And I mean, this has been building for, for years you it know, has. more than a decade. And it's, it's, it's amazing sort of that's it's to this point. And to me, sometimes I wonder how, at what point does this crest and, and we get to a better place? And it's, it's hard to think that resources will solve that. So how did it get to this point? And, and from your view, you know, when does it crest? When do we get over to the other side on this? Well, first of all, I think one of the issues is that for so many years, decades, really, it's been viewed as a moral failing. If you have um, a substance use disorder, then there's something wrong with you. Um, you know, morally, your values aren't what they should be. And we haven't realized that this is a disease, and it's like any other chronic illness. It takes ongoing treatment. Um, people are going to relapse, and that's expected. That's um, for so many people. That's part of what getting to a better place is all about. And we need to start treating it like that. And you detected, uh, you know, any way in which this, uh, you know, this has disproportionately affected women. We have you've seen studies that show women are prescribed opioids at a higher rate. Have you seen any of that bear out in New Hampshire, detected that in your conversations, that women are somehow uh, unique I in this? You think it's I indis- indiscriminate? I do. I think it affects young and old, women and men, rich and poor um, sadly, we have seen how it's affected so many people. So I want to move move to to sort of the the other uh, parts of the questions I like to ask on this podcast, and it's in particular with you, I uh, Senator. I didn't quite realize I you know for the audience I've used to chase after Senator Shaheen on the on the Hill to get uh, 
quotes from her um, as a as a younger reporter, um, not quite realizing that you are the first woman in U.S. history to be elected both governor and a U.S. senator. Um, you're the first woman governor of New Hampshire, the first woman senator in New Hampshire. So you've you've been a trailblazer in New Hampshire um, and and nationally. Uh, you know, take us, I guess, back to to when you you know you were making the decision to to run for elected office, and I guess this obviously predates your years in the Senate and governor. Um, what was your thought process as you were thinking, I'm going to go from being you know behind the scenes or a staff person to being the person out there, uh, putting myself out there? This is a conversation we have with a lot of women about taking that leap and the barriers. Well, I wish I could say. It was an orderly thought yes, process sure. that it was a rational plan <laughs> that there was, you know, there was this one instance that said, oh, I've got to run for office. But but it really wasn't that way. You know, I worked in politics for a long time. I, I have this theory that some people are born with artistic ability and some people can sing and some of us get the political gene. Um, so I had always been interested in politics and I worked, I got involved working for Jimmy Carter when he was a Jimmy Who running for uh, president in New Hampshire because I had worked in a newly integrated school in Mississippi when he got elected governor of Georgia and was very um, surprising in the South to talk about the need to change segregation. And that was really impressive to me because I was working in a situation where we were dealing with issues around segregation. And so when he started running for president, I went to work on his campaign. My husband and I went to the first campaign meeting he had in New Hampshire. And that was my entree mm-hmm. into politics. And in New Hampshire, you know, because we have the first presidential primary, mm-hmm. if, if you want to get involved, you have an opportunity to do that. And then worked for a number of years for other candidates, running campaigns, working for candidates. And then um, just decided... They hadn't been getting it done. I needed to do it myself. Did you? Did somebody ask you to do it, or did you decide to do it? Well, first of all, I served three terms as governor. At the end of my third term, I ran for the Senate in 2002, and I lost that race. What did you use in terms of how that campaign went that you applied going forward? Um, well, one of the things that I thought had influenced the outcome of that race, that was, as you might um, remember, In 2002, it was after September 11th. There was a very different national mood. Um, George W. Bush was president, and um, national security were very important to voters. I think women, certainly at that time, were viewed as not as tough on national security issues. And so that had an impact. One of the things I learned is that that wasn't going to happen to me again, Um, that if security became an issue, we were going to be very quick in responding to that and understanding how important that is to people to point out that you can handle those situations as a woman. So you went to Harvard in between that period. I did. I was the director. of. I worked very hard for John Kerry when he ran for president in 2004. And sadly, I got very close, but didn't get elected. And so then I um, went to work as the director of the Institute of Politics at the Kennedy School at Harvard. And then deciding, I guess, to try it again. You know, failure is often the, we talk about this too on Women Rule, the fear of failure, getting over that. Uh, Some people don't like that phrase. I think it does adequately sort of capture what men and women deal with all the time is you don't succeed. So how do you push past that? Um, You know, what, what, 
what was your thought process in overcoming? You did it once, it didn't happen. Um, doing it again and risking that you might be a two-time loser. Well, the two-time loser wasn't <laughs> the concern we that I had. Yet. I had a great job. I was getting paid well. Mm-hmm. It was exciting. You know, I got to spend time with my family. But the thing that really made the difference for me, I think, was was looking at my grandchildren. I have seven grandchildren. And um, at that time, I think I only had five. But um, thinking about what I would say to them 10 years down the road, if they came to me and said, you know, Govey, they call me Govey, Govey, why didn't why didn't you run for the Senate in 2008 when we were coming off the financial meltdown, when we had been in wars in Iraq and Afghanistan for a long period of time, when the country was really in distress? Why did you not do that? And it just didn't seem like a good enough answer to think about telling them, well, I had a nice job and I wanted my weekends off. So being in politics for for decades like what what is what do you point to as the 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 factor or factors that that you know we're now at a point where like I said 20 only 20% of congress is uh seats are held by women one in four offices nationwide only held by women what are those what have you what can you put your finger on in terms of why that is Well first of all I think we have to encourage more women to run one of the things I always found troubling when I was at the Kennedy School was when I would have a room full of undergraduates and I would say to them, how many of you want to run for office someday? Almost every male hand in the room would go up, but very few of the young women, you know, maybe a quarter. It was a good day when it was a half of the women in the room. Now I think that's changing. I mean, one of the exciting things about the response to the current administration has been the number of women who are engaging in the political process. Do you have your eye on any women for 2020, for presidential, the presidential campaign? Oh, not yet. Do you think it's a realistic possibility? Sure. I'm, I'm planning to see a woman president before I die, so, <laughs> so I'm counting on it. One question I have asked folks is, is whether, you know, given how 2016 went with, with Clinton, with Hillary Clinton, and... and um, Lots of different opinions and thoughts on why she did not win. Uh, there's been a big debate over the role that gender did play. Uh, how big of a factor do you think that that was? And I think it was a big factor. I, I mean, it's it's hard to tell because there were so many factors that influenced the outcome of the election. The Russian interference in um, our elections, the their role in fake news and um, contributing to... Um, Incorrect information about what was going on, I think, was very important. I think the campaign made some mistakes. That was important. So I think it's hard to isolate. And I'm not sure there was any single one factor that made the difference. But clearly, her gender made a difference. Do you find that that may make the parties uh, reluctant to nominate a woman No, in 2020? No, I don't think I don't think there was I don't think she got the nomination of the Democratic Party because she was a woman. Um, so 
I don't think people are not going to want to nominate a woman for that reason. But I do imagine that women will study what happened in 2016 and adjust in some way, whether right or wrong, from what happened. Well, what th- lessons are good to take away from 2016 and what lessons should uh, you know, a woman who's thinking about running for president not take away from that? But my point is that if you're going to have a winning campaign, you're going to look not just at Hillary's campaign. You're going to look at Donald Trump's campaign. You're going to look at Bernie Sanders' campaign. And it's not, as I said, I think there were some issues around her gender that had a lot to do with her what had happened to her when she was first lady, what had happened to her um, in her 08 campaign. Um, so I don't, I don't think we can necessarily draw the conclusion that that's going to happen to the next woman. So she had a, there was a lot of history there. Right. And the women who are being mentioned for 2020, they obviously don't have that decades-long history. They have with that, different history. They have different history and not as they can create not create, but their slate might be a little bit more blank regardless. One thing uh, I'd love to just hear from you, um, you know, what, what is like one piece of advice you'd give to younger women who are, let's just say here on the Hill um, in any realm, if you had one woman sitting here, uh, a young woman, what would you tell her about um, success, getting there, doing what, you know, getting to a point that, um, you know, sort of realizing your goals work hard. Um, Don't assume that you're going to have success tomorrow. You need to be realistic about the future and never give up. It's good advice for anybody anywhere, right? Senator, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to to you. you.